Welcome to Hippie Witch, magic for a new age. I'm your host, Joanna DeBone, and this is a happy, hippie place for talking all things magic, witches and fiction, and creating the kick-ass life of your dreams. Hi, thanks for joining me for episode 420. What? 420? Light up, witches! It's the 420th episode of Hippie Witch, magic for a new age. My name is Joanna DeVoe, and I am the kooky creatrix behind Kick-Ass Witch, putting the K in magic, and Hippie Witch, the show you are listening to right now. I also have a free ebook by that name, Hippie Witch, Peace, Love, and all that good shit. And you can pick up a copy of that at www.joannadevoe.com or back on the description page for this episode back on Blog Talk Radio where you will also find a link to today's special, magical, super sweet, and beautiful guest. I have a little bit of a girl crush on her right now. After this interview, I was like, oh my God, I love her so much. Tess Whitehurst, who I know a lot of you love as well. This is a really good interview. You're going to love it. There's also going to be a link to Melissa Alvarez, who was supposed to be on the show last week. And unfortunately, I just could not make the audio happen because she had to call in I think she was in a rural area on the road on a phone and I tried I tried an entire afternoon to get the sound to improve the sound quality it was not good and then the next day I had a friend who was an audio engineer come over and try to help me with the sound quality and he finally was like yeah this just is what it is you either post it like this or you don't and I sort of dreaded having to contact her and be like I'm so sorry you can come back on the show if you want to we can redo the interview if you want to but I just can't use this I just didn't think you all would appreciate it I think it was maybe a little bit annoying some of it was You just really couldn't hear what was going on. There was some static. And so I just made the hard choice to cut that interview. But I really want to emphasize the earth frequency. She's written many books. She's a very popular energy worker. You might know her, Melissa Alvarez. But the book that she was coming on the show to talk about is called Earth Frequencies, Sacred Sites, Vortexes, Earth Chakras, and Other Transformational Places, and I think a lot of you would really love this book. So I wanted to emphasize this on today's episode. And I will link to that book and her website so you can check all that out if you want to. Basically, the way that book is, Earth Earth Frequency, I was going to say Earth Chakras. I like the part where she talks about the Earth's chakras. She talks about ley lines and places of power all over the planet. And then the first part of the book is how to connect with the earth frequency by tapping into these places of power. And she also teaches you in the book how to do that remotely. So you don't have to travel the world if you cannot do that, if you can afford to do that, if you don't have the time to do that, you can still visit these places remotely 
and connect to the energy that way, to the earth frequency that way. And then the biggest section in the book, the second part of the book, is basically like an encyclopedia of sacred sites. And so she breaks down like each of, I guess, the most famous sacred sites on these energy points around the world and how to connect with that energy. And of course, the first thing I had to do (laughs) when I got to that section of the book was flip straight to the bees to see if Big Sur was in there. And of course, Big Sur was in there because Big Sur, in my opinion, is the most magical place on the earth. Although I will say... The last time I was in Big Sur was earlier this year. I took my dad to see it. I think I probably told you all this, but I was so excited to finally, after all these years, get to show my dad Big Sur from my perspective. He had he had ridden bikes through there, like he rides bikes up and down the coast, like one of these sporty maniacs who do these kinds of things for fun. <laughs> But he had not seen it like through my eyes, you know, all my favorite spots and hikes. And I just kept saying the entire trip, okay, it didn't used to be like this. I don't know what's going on because it was like Disneyland. Everywhere we went, there were huge crowds of people. I feel like we were there on a really busy weekend for some reason. Maybe it was like Memorial Day weekend or something. I don't remember. But anyway, there were tons of people there. And at one point, we went down to my favorite little beach that used to be not private, but pretty off the beaten path. And there weren't many people there. It's Pfeiffer Beach in Big Sur. And the sand is purple. It's beautiful. And then it has, along the shore, it has these rocky these big like goonies like the movie the the goonies it has like these big rock formations that have little tunnels you can climb through and we went to go you know poke our head into one of these caves that have sea anemones and stuff in the tide pools and there was a line we had to wait in line it was so bizarre and then just a a few days ago the the california sun is is a news a newsy newsletter. He takes the best of the California news and puts it in a daily newsletter. It's pretty awesome. But he linked to a story that was saying basically tourism has destroyed Big Sur, confirming what I realized earlier this year. So, yeah, I don't know. I feel like Stonehenge had some issues like that as well, that they've had to protect it from people because people end up flocking to these places and I know tourism is causing a kind of global crisis that way because we're humans and we end up wrecking the environment wherever we go so it's interesting to maybe flip through a book like Melissa's and visit these spots remotely (laughs) and soak up the vibes without stomping our big hairy human feet all over them I don't know I don't know, just a tangent. I was going off there, but I wanted to mention that book. And I linked to it on Instagram as well if you want to see the cover of it. Or you can just Google it or click around on the show notes. And then, as always, I have to say a special thank you to the amazing people supporting the podcast over on Patreon. Thank you so much for supporting the show there. To anybody who has ever been a patron of the Hippie Witch Podcast, and I want to especially thank and give a shout out to new patrons, Erica Wooley, 
Colleen Knight, Jessica Gallego, or Gallego? Am I trying to be too fancy with it, Jessica? Is it Gallego? I think it might be Gallego. Amber Barrett, one of my best friends, is now my patron. Can you believe it? <laughs> Priscilla, Priscilla Claire and Jade Duggins. And I apologize if I pronounced anybody's name wrong. I do that quite often here on the show, but I always do my best. And sometimes, this I have found too, I will cut and paste your names for my email announcements into a little PDF file, and then my handy-dandy computer ends up auto-correcting them into something entirely else. (laughs) Completely. So I do what I can. Thank you. Thank you all so much. I hope that you are enjoying the bonus content over there. I create a lot of it week after week after week, and we have a lot of fun. I also, because it's late right now, I think I'm just going to hop right into the interview with Tess without too much ado, without talking too much about it, because I feel like this interview speaks for itself. Although I will, I will say that in the beginning here, and I was saying I have a little bit of a girl crush on Tess, it's because I have a lot of respect for her as a witch And a woman who stands confidently and comfortably in her joy without apology. I think it's become very trendy and played out and boring, in my opinion, to bash positivity and assume that everybody who shines a bright light is engaging in and promoting spiritual bypass. And that is just not true. Some of us got to that place because we've been through some shit in our lives and we have reached a point of spiritual maturity and a deep appreciation for life that begins to radiate out of us as joy. When I was speaking to Tess, I I don't actually know if that's why she came to that place. The impression that she gave me was that this has been with her throughout her life because she had an intense realization around death from a very early age. I believe she said she saw her first dead body at the age of four because her family owns a funeral home and she grew up in a funeral home. And it's really interesting to me that that sense of, oh, this is going to end and that we are all eternal souls, that this lifetime this body is finite it doesn't go on forever but the spirit does that 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 has given her this lightness of being that the older I get the more I really appreciate in people she has that also she's just a dream interview she's a really fun person to talk to because she listens very carefully and she asks questions and so it's really conversational I think you're going to love this. I had a fabulous time. Hopefully that translates into the quality of the interviews. So here she is, witchy woman extraordinaire and prolific author and teacher and podcaster, Tess Whitehurst. Hi, Tess. Welcome to Hippie Witch. Hi, Joanna. Thank you so much for having me on your show. 
Hey, I had you on a show I used to do on YouTube called Every Which Way, and I almost ruined my own opening just now saying welcome to Every Which Way because I was remembering that from back in the day. And now it's Kick-Ass Witch, and now it's a podcast format. Yeah, I greatly prefer podcasting. It's so fun, isn't it? It's so fun. You're doing a podcast with a friend, which I think is, I guess I have a different friend every week here on the show. Oh, right. It's quite different. For the first few years, I did it alone. I just showed up and talked my face off. But when you're talking to another person, it's such a great dynamic. Are you loving it? How long It's good. Yeah, I'm loving it. We've been doing it since May and um, we've just been learning as we go along, but it's really, really fun. It's really fun too, because we tune into like the energies of the week and we draw a card. And so it really has like been enriching my whole life to think about what card we drew and like the energies that we've tapped into together and our different sort of takes on what's going on astrologically and energetically. It's been really neat. That's one of the things about being a professional witch is it you get to do things that benefit yourself, you know, yes. like things that inform your life while serving others. It's it's such a win-win situation. I so agree. I know. I feel like we have so much in common. I was looking at your bio and your holistic approach and eclectic approach is really similar. And you're in Bakersfield, right? Are you in, you're in the Central Valley? No, I'm from Bakersfield. Oh, where do you live? Oh, you live in LA. Los Angeles. Yes. Oh, okay. That's right. So I also, maybe we talked about this before that I'm also from the Central Valley from a little town called Los Banis. I don't even know that town. It's very small. (laughs) (laughs) It's like if you go from Bakersfield to Fresno and then you keep going on the 99 and then you like pass Merced, then you get to Las Banas. Yeah. I feel like Bakersfield is the biggest small town. Oh yeah. And it's grown a lot in terms of, I think it's the internet's fault. Like it's grown a lot culturally, but when I was growing up there, I felt like I was in the middle of nowhere. I just couldn't wait to get to the to the big city. So it's interesting to go back now and, and there's traffic and oh, everybody's yeah. stylish and it's just really a different place than interesting. Yeah, but it does have a similar vibe too. You haven't been to my town, but I feel like the whole Central Valley, if it's a city or it's a town, it's like there's a similar vibe going on. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So let's tell people the name of your podcast before we get too far. Off that subject. Magic Monday. And Natasha Levinger, am I saying that right? Yes, she's my co-host. She's an intuitive counselor. And she's also like you, she's also a writer. She has written some screenplays and she also wrote for My Little Pony, which is one of my favorite shows. Oh, how sweet. (laughs) Have you seen it? The new one? No, but I loved it back (laughs) in the day when I was a kid. The new one, it, I I don't think it's for everyone, but it's definitely like there's something about it. I just really love it. Mm. And I I love that you met, you did, you feng shuied her house. That's how yes. you guys became friends. Yes. Yes. It was a while back, like maybe a decade ago. So do you still do that? Because I feel like if I'm remembering correctly, isn't your start in magic really feng shui? Well, professionally, yeah. I mean, I was a witch and a magical practitioner before I discovered feng shui or even knew the word feng shui, like since I was 19 but um, or 18, but really my whole life, <laughs> you know, when you look back. But um, I learned feng shui when I was 25 and went to the Western School of Feng Shui, maybe 26. 
and got certified as a practitioner and then set up shop in Los Angeles doing feng shui consultations. And that was like my bridge into being a professional magical person. You may have lived in Los Angeles when I discovered feng shui in my 20s. I was such a dork. I probably could have used your help, but I just like took everything verbatim and I had this little apartment in Hollywood and I had like mirrors everywhere and I was just just following the instructions. And I tend to work in reverse as a skeptic. I tend to like throw myself into things and then unravel everything with skepticism as I go along. I I, I don't know what that's about, but that seems to be my MO. And I love feng shui still, but I would say I'm more into like feng shui light, like the decluttering aspects and and, and just creating a nice sense of flow rather than getting hung up on all the cures. Well, me too. I mean, that's kind of how I see it and that's how I was taught. But I like how you describe that, that you throw yourself in and you're a skeptic in reverse because I really relate to that. I wonder if a lot of magical people do because it's like, that's how you learn. You know, you like say, okay, this is what the book says. I don't understand it, but I'm going to try it. And then you see like, oh, that's how it works. That's the dynamic. And then you gain some amount of mastery and realize like, oh, I don't need to have, you know, a flute hanging at a 45 degree angle (laughs) in order to create the energy I need, you know? (laughs) You know, you know, it's interesting though. I, I cannot seem to sustain this, but with everything I've tried, I tend to have quite a bit of beginner's luck because of that suspension of disbelief. But I'm such an airy air sign that I, I just have to pick at it. I have to get into how. Oh yeah. 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 No, I know what you mean. I've talked about that too, that, um, when you first start magic, there's like, uh, just this sort of like window of success because, because you don't, you don't know the dynamic yet. And so there's like so much possibility and that's like that window of feeling like, Oh, how is it going to work? I don't know. You know, that actually is a way to surrender to the universe that allows the magic to work. Yeah. I introduced you via email to my friend, Marla Martinson. She hosts a podcast as well. And she never leaves that phase. She's just like the most woo person I have oh. ever met. And she just leans into all of it and, and never departs. Like her skeptic never kicks in. And therefore she is a very fun person. She's into all the things. And And probably really successful with our manifestation work. Yes, she is. Yes, she is. That is true. And she has some fun manifestation stories for sure. That's awesome. I thought she'd be excited about Unicorn Magic, which is your new book. And how many books have you written now? There's many, many, many. Um, I think nine, it's eight or nine. I think Unicorn Magic is nine. And I think I get confused because I have an Oracle deck. So I don't know if I count that or not. Yeah. And there's an online, I feel like I have an ebook that you did too. Oh yeah. I have a couple of ebooks too, additionally. And then I also have been for the last few years, creating a planner with my friend, Jennifer Joy. It's the Your Most Magical Year Yet Planner. And the 2021 just came out. So that is also book-like. It's uh, you mean 2020 or you already have the 2021? Yeah, 2020. Uh, 2020. Yes, that's the one that just just came out. 
I wrote that down. 2020, your most magical year yet, a purposeful planner for everyday enchantment. I wrote that down because I am a huge planner nerd. And this time oh. of year is the most exciting time of year that way <laughs> because it's every year there are more and more planners. Yeah. It's, it's an embarrassment of riches. I love it all. Oh uh, yeah. I think you'll really like it. It's full color. It's got coloring pages and goal planning and journaling prompts. It's so fun and spells. Yeah, it's very witchy. The the preview that I saw, I love the illustrations. They're so dreamy and it feels like you, like the color scheme. Thank you. And there is, it's it's a witch book. It's for witching for life because <laughs> yeah. all of the astrological aspects day by day by day. And then there's magical spells woven throughout. It's very cool. Thank you for checking that out. Yeah, it looks cool. I have to mention it because like attracts like. So I am a planner nerd. Therefore, we are speaking to many, many planner nerds. Oh, yeah. Are you, no. <laughs> you seem like you're really suited to make a planner. Have you ever thought of making one? I have, and I have a very specific system that I have shared, but I have not put any energy into doing that. I think it, I just don't know how it would resonate with other people because it is so specifically suited to my crazy brain. If that uh, makes sense. I bet it, I bet it would resonate. Maybe. I don't know. We'll see one of these days, one of these days. And I've borrowed a lot from, you know, I, I picked this thing from this book I learned 20 years ago. And then this thing from this book I learned and I just mush it all together. That's so neat. I mean, that's what I do too. So what is the, can, can you share it? Like, do you kind of make that planner for yourself or? I'll tell you the, the core of it that really set me free is something called the unschedule. And basically I don't write anything in ink into my planner until it's done. So I keep like a master list of to-dos on whatever, like a long grocery list pad or post-it notes. And then you get that reward. I use really silly colored ink, pink, purple, and turquoise. And I'm very nerdy about it. Hearts and stars all the way. And so when I get to cross something off that list and then move it into the planner in ink, it, I think it creates this little dopamine effect. It like lights up that reward system in your brain. So you're moving things over and it's, it's kind of like putting a gold star on your paper or whatever for the day. So that's so neat. So you move it to your planner after it's done. Yes, only. So, I'm only allowed to write it down if it's done. I'm very strange about not wanting things in my planner until they're done. So like today, I'm interviewing Tess Whitehurst. So I would have a post-it note, like a little tiny post-it note that says that in case you cancel or you need to reschedule. Uh-huh. <laughs> I have not marred my planner with permanent ink. Oh. So I'll move it around. But then once it's done, then I get to write it in. So then do you save your planners? Are they kind of like a journal for you? Oh, interesting. So it's a different kind of functionality and it's like a work of art. Like you're thinking of your years. It's not, sometimes it's very sloppy, but it's more about, I guess I felt tortured by writing things into my planner and not being able to cross them off at the end of the day and having to keep moving them like to different days that felt defeating to me. And so I wanted to feel like a winner instead of a loser. I feel like I was on a loser trajectory of feeling like (laughs) that loss of the the day, like I lost the day. I want to win the day. So even if I write one thing down, it feels like a win. 
that's so interesting. I feel like you could do a whole like video or blog post about how to use your planner. And I feel like a lot of people would resonate because I feel like I need an, I always feel like I need a new planner system because it gets out of control. And I start out like, oh, I'm going to write all in pencil and I'll erase it if I need to change it. But then that goes out the window. And then it's just like this kind of like messy, just mess of things that have a lot of things crossed out. (laughs) So I don't know. I like your, I like the way you think. It's a good system. You can use it with any planner. I like how beautiful the planner that you two created is. It's oh, like, thanks. It's the built-in pretty. The art is already there. Yeah, it's really pretty. Jennifer is really talented, and she is an amazing poet, and she wrote original poetry for every month, maybe 10 out of 12 months, actually. That is so cool. I don't, I I don't know her work. I'm new to her. Jennifer Joy. Mm-hmm. Jennifer Joy. Nice. So other books that people may know you, I feel like everybody listening probably is familiar with at least one of your books, but there's The Magic of Trees, Magic Flowers, You Are Magical, Magical Fashionista, which is really fun. And then the one I think most people might know you for is Magical Housekeeping. Mm -hmm. And I was hanging out in Discord this morning, which is like a chatting app that I use with my patrons, uh, the patrons of the Hippie Witch Podcast. Shout out to all those awesome people. And I said, I'm about to talk to Tess right now. Does anybody have a question? And Jamie popped up and said, she asked about magical housekeeping and she wanted to know how you keep good vibes in and bad vibes out. Oh, well, that's a pretty all-purpose question. It's like, that's kind of what the whole book is about. But every day as part of my meditation I do like a space clearing that involves no tools. I've really gone that direction a lot. That's what my book Holistic Energy Magic is about is magic without any tools. Although I do sometimes burn sage or, you know, incense and candles and crystals. I mean, I have tools, but (laughs) every day I do a meditation where I call on, I work with angels a lot. So I call on Archangel Michael and Archangel Raphael to completely vacuum and clear my home of any and all stuck or challenging energies and then to fill it with golden white light. And so then I imagine a sphere of light completely filling and encompassing my house. And I set the intention in the sphere, only love remains through the sphere, only love may enter. And I also connect the, the home with the earth. So then I imagine like a pillar of light completely encompassing that sphere, connecting to the core of the earth and also connecting to the cosmos, bringing in the diamond white light from the cosmos and the uh, golden light from the core of the earth. And then I ask for angels to surround the home and direct positive energy into it. And then another circle, of it's very elaborate, another circle of angels to surround that circle of angels and direct negativity outward to neutralize negativity. And then I set the intentions that I want to hold in the home because anytime you clear the space, even if you use sage or a bell or a drum or visualization like I do regularly, it's good to not just clear it, but also set an intention for what you want to be in it. It's like, if it's just clear, it's kind of like open to whatever. But if you set the intention... And for me, it's everyday love, light, clarity, serenity, abundance, 
romance, creativity, health, and peace in the space. So there are many ways to keep good vibes in and bad vibes out, but that's my go-to everyday system. It reminds me of clearing a table and then setting it fresh. Yeah, totally. It's also, I sometimes also use the analogy of getting an old song out of your head by putting another song into your head. Hmm. You use the word imagination, and I feel like this is going to tie into your new book, Unicorn Magic. But I'm wondering, and this you may not even be able to explain this because I don't know that everybody that practices magic, this is me poking at it with, the, with my skeptical brain here, <laughs> knows exactly <laughs> what they're doing. But imagine, you're talking about, you know, I imagine this, and then I imagine that, and then oh, I yeah. imagine this. So what do you think is happening when you're doing that? Do you think you're truly activating, you know, the magic of angels or is it about you creating this like attracts like situation in which you're getting into a state of belief that the space is cleared. Therefore it is. The way that I think about reality is that it's all, I mean, all I know about reality is what I perceive. And part of that is what I believe about what I perceive or maybe all of it. I mean, Quantum physics, I'm not an expert in that at all. I mean, I read books about it, but I don't understand them. I just very barely, very, very barely get the gist, but sometimes. But what I do understand is that in quantum physics, that our perception actually physically has a measurable, creates a measurable change on the quantum level. So that is something that's proven but not completely understood. But what I do, like when I just think about life in general, I think, well, what do I know? I know what I feel and what I sense and what I see. So I suspect and can't prove, but I can't, I can't really prove anything <laughs> about, about reality at all. But I suspect that our perception and our belief about our perception actually is creating what we perceive at least to a much larger degree than, you know, Newtonian science would have us believe, you know, just the everyday kind of way that in our culture, we think reality works. It's, it's, I think it's much, much different than that. Yeah, I get that. Do you, are you familiar with Neville Goddard? No, but that might ring a bell. I'm not he's sure. A new, who, who he's he? an old new thought movement teacher. Oh, okay. He's long long since left the planet, but he, his take on it was basically that imagination is God. And he didn't mean it in the sense of a deity, but that mm -hmm. imagination is creative. And yes. Yes. And what you were saying just now really reminded me of that. Yeah. I really feel like that. And that what, what we perceive, what we believe about what we perceive has a lot to do with what actually we call reality, which I think is one of the many ways that you could say magic works. Yes. So now we have to talk about unicorns because <laughs> there we have so much in common. I think there's a lot of crossover yeah. between what we talk about. And I think the energy that we put out, I think we use different language sometimes, but I'm not a person that works with angels or fairies or unicorns. So what I love about doing this podcast is I get to talk to people who do, because I know a lot of my audience loves that stuff and they think I'm nuts for not. <laughs> so, oh, no. <laughs> so I'm thinking like, how do we get to unicorns from here? Is this something that 
that you just love to explore with your imagination? Is this something that you genuinely believe exists on some level? Like what is unicorn magic? I believe that what we, there's a, there's a Basque saying, anything that has a name is real or something like that. If it has a name, it's real, which is my argument for Santa. It's like, we have a concept. It's a symbolic concept and it means it has meant things. And this is the concept of archetypes that Carl Jung and Joseph Campbell talk about that, you know, it's a, it's a language, it's a deeper language than like English, like a human, what we traditionally know as language is symbol, but there's even a deeper layer than that. It's like our dreams, our um, creations, our artistic, poetic sort of consciousness. That is a reflection of us. That's a reflection of the one consciousness. So do I believe literally in unicorns? Yeah, maybe, maybe. But I don't really, I feel like reality is so fluid and so impossible to define that it's sort of a non, like it's sort of a moot point, the idea of literally true. But I will say that the working with unicorn imagery and consciousness, that feels really real to me. Just like angels, like I do tap into a certain current of energy, divine wisdom, divine healing with different angels and certainly with unicorns. They have a really unique vibration and it's not a mistake that they, it's not like a fluke that they've become so popular lately. It was really interesting to write the book because learning, I mean, it was interesting because more than any of my other books, I feel like it's completely, it was like a transmission that just came through that I now it's like, it's its own thing. Like when, you know, Kat from Llewellyn talked to you about us talking all about unicorns. I was like, I don't know if I can talk about unicorns the whole time, even though I wrote a whole, whole book about them just because it like, it came through in a way that felt like it was its own thing. I don't know. It's hard to explain, but no, I get what you're you know saying. what I mean? Yeah. Okay, shout it, out to Kat because she's awesome and she deserves a shout out. Yeah. She's my, she's the publicist, the head publicist at Llewellyn. She's um, awesome. Yeah. Hi Kat, if you're listening. <laughs> so, so yeah, but there, it's so interesting. Um, they're about purity. Unicorns are so much about purity and like the purity, pristine aspect of nature. And they're so deep. They're like, fierce at the same time they're gentle they're so so gentle and so pure and at the same time like fiercely defensive of things that they care about so it's like it's this energy that's coming up right now that on the surface like if you look at instagram and you put in hashtag unicorns it's like oh you know um frosting and birthday cake and sparkly necklaces but but deeper down the images coming up now and people's love of unicorns is being ignited now because it's a time when the earth needs to be returned to a state of purity and and people's feeling that they want to fiercely defend the health of nature like that's really tied to unicorns and they're also so connected to alchemy the, the alchemical magic of balance and transmuting negativity into positivity. Like in the Middle Ages, it was believed that, I mean, they really believed that unicorns were actual animals that were on earth, which could be, could 
possibly be, but they believe that a unicorn horn could neutralize any poison. So any, any, anything that was toxic or poisonous, even a whole toxic lake, if you put one unicorn horn into it, it was believed that it would transform into just pure healthy water. So it seems it's not, you know, it's, it, it makes sense that we would be attracted to the symbol at this time in our history. When you talk about getting this book as a transmission and then you continued on with everything you just said, I totally tapped into that. I was like, oh my God, now it's happening to me because I was like the most skeptical about like, what is this about? And as you're talking, first you said archetypes and I was like, huh, I've never (laughs) thought of I've never thought of unicorns as an archetype. And oh. I was thinking mermaids and like, boop, boop, boop. My mind started flying off. And then you're talking about purity and I was, and this fierceness. And I was just, all these ideas were popping into my head about the purity of children and yeah. how yeah. they carry that unicorn energy with them and how maybe this, I have chills. This is so cool, yeah. Tess. <laughs> like maybe this resurgence of interest in unicorns is about not just wanting to protect nature in the planet, but our own gentle childlike nature. Completely. Completely. Oh, I get it. I get it. Yeah. You just tapped right into that current that, that came through me (laughs) when I wrote the book. Yeah, exactly. Like whimsy, playfulness, joy, lightness. It's all, that's all connected in there too. You're so magical. So are you. <laughs> oh, that was really cool. That I still have like little hair standing up on my arms. It's really fun. Yeah, it was really interesting, like writing the whole process of writing it and getting excited about it. How I was like, I mean, if I were to have logically thought, oh, can I write a whole book about unicorns? I would be like, no, I don't, there, I, there's no, I have no idea what that would even say. But instead I was like, yes, I'm going to do that. I it's like, that's going to happen. I'm so excited. I could just feel the joy of the book coming through before I even had like a concept of what the chapters would be. Oh, how fun. It must've been really exciting to research too. The history of unicorns. Do you know how long they've been with us? Humanity? I mean, how far could you reach back? I mean, thousands of years. I don't know. I couldn't say exactly, but what's really interesting is it's both in the East and the West and there's an Eastern concept of unicorns and it's really parallel. It's fascinating in both East and West unicorns are associated with cinnamon, the scent of cinnamon. And they're fierce in both East and West, and they are really rare and connected to pristine nature in both the East and the West. It's really interesting. It's interesting when you think about all of these so-called mythical creatures and how, you know, mermaids are a perfect example. Mm -hmm. I think Sasquatch is a good example, how they show up all around the world. Yeah. Yeah. It's It's like a common dream like a, something about our, it's the language, I think, the symbolic language and the language of our divinity. I understand that. Yes. Thank you. I totally get what you're saying. I, archetypes, I can understand. Mm-hmm. I had to like tiptoe very, very slowly into the idea of the goddess. And I oh. got there through archetypes. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. And Oh, Oh, go go ahead. ahead. (laughs) Well, I was just going to say that I think it's like when we talk about archetypes in psychology, I think it, there's more to it when you talk about it in terms of spirituality, because it's not just like, oh, that's just a symbol that humans use. It's like, 
I think archetypally you can tap into currents of energy and wisdom as well. Absolutely. That's why I talk about like psycho-spiritual magic because there's a place where psychology and spirituality meet. And then like those archetypes, speaking of the goddess, for example, I first started working with Athena, who is my girl still, which is very fitting because she's, you know, like a strategic kind of goddess and very much involved in the mind. And I could relate to that. And, but something does happen, I think, when you truly, truly deeply connect with the archetype, it takes on a life of its own and yeah. it starts working with you. And then that's inexplicable. Mm-hmm. I so agree. Yeah. Okay. I'm so pleased <laughs> to have you on the show right now. I'm just <laughs> grinning. All the thoughts have kind of fallen out of my head. I'm like, this is very cool. I love uh, getting to have a shift on air like that. That's pretty neat. awesome. You said something too, you've recently linked to an old blog post that I read. You linked to it on Twitter that I wanted to mention because it's fall right now. Mm -hmm. And you were talking about the title of it is what is the veil between the worlds and why is it thin? And it was another one of these aha moments, aha moments with Tess Whitehurst on the (laughs) Hippie Witch podcast. And I was like, whoa, the way you wrapped it up turned out to be the reason why we love fall is and I was like okay now this is so cool can can you remember what you wrote or do you mind uh maybe in a nutshell talking about that a little bit I don't totally remember but I can talk about the veil between the worlds or I could look it up while we're talking (laughs) see what I I can I can read you to you I have a little sure yeah Because the days are getting shorter and the natural world is preparing to temporarily withdraw from the realm of life and growth, the harvest cycle is waning, but it's not gone. This means Samhain is a transition, a doorway between the season of life and the season of death. Beneath, Beneath this realm of constant change, there is a wide open space of eternity, a place of stillness in which the appearance of change arises, a serene openness to which we will always return and with which we are one. Even at this very moment, it was brilliant. You led into that talking about, you know, how all is one. And even though we perceive ourselves as being unique individuals that when the veil is lifted, we can tap into this eternity. And that's why we love fall. And I was like, this is the best. I love this. Good. Yes. Thank you for reminding me. It's funny. It's like with the unicorn book where I tap into like a current of energy and then I write it and then I don't always remember what it, what was the current (laughs) that I tapped into that day. But yeah, so that is a feeling. Did I, in the blog post, did I talk about the funeral chapel that my family has? I don't think so. Oh, okay. So that's a feeling that I have when I go to the funeral chapel because in my hometown of Los Banos, California, my family has owned a funeral chapel since my dad was little. And since before my dad was born, it was my dad's dad's dad started it. And so it's, they moved it's not like the ancient one. It's one from the seventies now, but anyway, it, when I go there, it, I feel that feeling any time of year, it's like, there's something about being in that space where people have been honoring and remembering just so recently, like it's a place where the veil is always open 
And it's just transcendent. Like there's no place on earth like that. And that's why I fall is my favorite season because it, it, everywhere I go, I have that feeling like I have when I'm at the funeral chapel, which is just this like sweet feeling of light, this knowing that I'm eternal and the feeling of love, because I, I think it's because like when living people are constantly going there to feel that love for their deceased loved one who's on the other side of the veil. It's like, it keeps that veil open and it keeps it open with love because grief and love are the same. You know, that pain that we feel in our heart, it's because of love. And, and when someone transitions also, it's like all of the beauty and light that is who they really are, that's still there. And the illusion of separation or lack challenges, that's all gone. And that's like, it's just this way to remember that truth of who we really are. And it's so inspiring to me. It's my favorite thing. I love that you grew up in and around a funeral home and you're this very sweet, light, loving person and that you interpret those energies that way. There's a guy, I wish I could remember his name off the top of my head, but I've been binging his interviews the last 48 hours. It's David something, but he is really interested in how do we live forever, basically. Like he's a scientist and he's really into like the different ways that you can tweak your physical body, you know, using different techniques to extend not just your lifespan, but your health which fascinates me, but he, he said a couple of different times during these different interviews that it's cruel that we are a species that knows that we're going to die and that all our loved ones are going to die and that he had this realization when he was four and that it's driven him forward. So he experiences that as a cruelty. That, that is so interesting. Yeah. I, my boyfriend and I talk about this a lot because he is really like, oh, they're going to discover that gene and they're going to be able to change it so that we can live indefinitely. And I just, I really treasure knowing that I'm going to die. I just treasure it. And, and I know that, I mean, I expect it. It's not going to, usually not a comfortable experience for people. Um, It can be, but I think when people are afraid to die, it's not because of the discomfort. It's because of the ego death, you know, and I define the ego as the illusion of separation and the ego is terrified because that's the ultimate death. It's like, who, what will happen? I can't conceive of it. The ego can't The part of us that is, thinks it's separate, but the part of us that's one with all that is, it knows that's can't, you can't ever, you know, there's no way that that part of us can be destroyed. And that's the part of us that feels joy and love and connection. So it's, I treasure it because it, I, I feel like it's a doorway into pure light and sweetness and connection. It's like a, um, a drop being reunited with the ocean. But I also treasure it because I think it helps this life to feel so sweet to know, you know, it could be tomorrow, it could be in 20 years, 40 years, but it is going to end. And then that just reminds me to treasure and feel so grateful for the people I love and, you know, the beauty of nature and yeah, every moment. Yeah. That's my, I love memento mori because it's this too mm-hmm. shall pass. So it, you know, it's all the more precious when you mm-hmm. carry that 
around with you when you remember that. My mom thinks it's very morbid that I think that way, but it's not. It's not. No. It it brings out more love and appreciation of other people. And even if I'm having a crappy day, it's my day. It's my life. And I'm still here. Yeah, I think it's very natural too. I think for some reason in our culture, you know, we don't teach kids about death until they're a certain age. And I just, I, I was three or four and I saw dead people because I went to work with my dad and I saw a woman in a casket. I mean, she was embalmed, so it wasn't like she was, it was like grisly or anything, but I just knew like no one had to tell me let's have a talk about death and dying. I just knew it was just in my mind. I think just being a part of being human, you know? Yeah. I think, well, this, you're building an excellent case for meditation or any of the different kinds of techniques we can use to get in touch with that sense of eternity. I know, I think this is why they're using psychedelics, neogenic plants to help terminal cancer patients transition. Even psilocybin, I know they've been using to help people transition without fear. Mm -hmm. And that that's a really popular thing right now in the scientific community. And why is that? Why is that working? I think because of what you just explained, it's tapping them into the oneness of all so that they're not afraid for me, dying, the fear around dying is leaving the people I love. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's what it's about. And that is a result of thinking I am separate and they are separate and I'm going to lose them somehow. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that that, that, that makes sense. I think I worry about my loved ones being sad too. Um, but I have heard that hallucinogenics also are being used successfully to treat alcoholism and drug addiction, which I think for the same reason makes sense that when people are addicted to drugs or alcohol, they're trying to find that natural reconnect with that sense of oneness and in an artificial way. But when you, you know, I think hallucinogens definitely can help you connect with that feeling. Yeah. It's a, we live in very exciting times. All of this stuff is so interesting. I agree. Yeah. You talked to you about, um, you did a video I liked recently called Be Your Own Authority. Oh, yeah. And which I'm a huge fan of. And it's taken, you know, putting myself out there publicly, it's taken some time to not feel swayed or to, I don't know, tamper down my personality to make other people more comfortable yeah. because I am very specifically me. (laughs) You know, I have my experiences and that's all I can talk, you know, Mm -hmm. about with any kind of authenticity. So, you know, you talked about being fluffy, people calling you fluffy or new agey. That is something I have been accused of many, many times. (laughs) And if you go too far into the witchcraft, you're too dark. And it's interesting how people just, I don't know what that's about, but it, it really takes, I think, a lot of personal strength and spiritual maturity. It's where you get to a place where you can be your own authority. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think it's the ego trying to take over the experience of spirituality, like being like, this is, this is the right way. And it's like, that's not really the point. It's all of our own individual ways that we connect with the infinite and what inspires us. It's not, trying to find out what all the cool kids are doing, you know? Mm -hmm. 
I would say too, just from my understanding about the shadow, that if somebody else's spiritual practice is really triggering you and pissing you off and you feel like you need to go after that person because of it, that that person probably has a gift for you. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. something is being shown to you about yourself that, right. that you are unwilling to see. Yeah. That you don't want to own. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. In a very subtle slight version of that. It was like me with unicorn magic. I'm like, I don't think <laughs> I can talk about unicorn. And then I'm in the middle of the podcast going, oh my God, I've got chills. <laughs> well, well, I think that it was a good instinct though, that you didn't want to do the whole podcast about unicorns because I didn't either. I don't know if Kat told you that, but I was like, okay, Kat, like you can tell people that I want to do a podcast, but maybe let's not tell them we can talk about a number of things, not just the unicorn book. And she was like, well, we'll ask them if they'll do the unicorn book, but if not, (laughs) so I was actually feeling the same way. Like we can definitely talk about it, but I don't know about a whole podcast about it. Oh, I'm so glad because I was treading so gently. I was like, I love her. I think she's amazing. (laughs) I would love to have her on the show, but I don't know if unicorn magic is, I don't know if my audience would believe me if I like totally went there, but now here we are going there. And I'm like, okay, I bet everybody is nodding and running off to buy this book right now. <laughs> well, I'm glad you spoke your truth about it though. Cause I was, I'm more interested in talking about, you know, wherever the conversation may lead. I'm wondering about your relationship with Llewellyn. Are, are they just like, you can call them and say, okay, I think I want to write a book about unicorn magic. And they say, okay, we trust you because you've written so many books with them or do you have to go through the whole process of, you know, pitching them a proposal and convincing them like, no, no, really, we are going to write about unicorns. Well, actually the unicorn book was their idea. They knew that I was a huge My Little Pony fan. So I think that, I mean, I assume that's why they asked me (laughs) if I wanted to write it. And then I was like, yes, I want to write it. But yeah, I think in with book ideas that I've had in the past, if I let them know what my idea is and I give them an outline, then I have, they've been pretty receptive to my ideas. How cool. So you have a lot, you have a very long working relationship with them. It must feel like home to you. They, it, it does in a lot of ways. And uh, a couple of years ago, it was Carl Llewellyn Weschke's memorial in, um, in Minneapolis or uh, St. Paul, Minnesota. And I went to it and I did, I was really struck by how I felt like there was a community there, even if I hadn't met everybody there or I, I had heard of them or some of them I had met, but there did, it did, there was like a really interesting feeling of like, yeah, this is a community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you're a collaborator too. Like you collaborate with different people sometimes, which must be fun. Have you found a community with the readership that there's like a Llewellyn reader? Um, well, there's a lot of different, I think, kinds of Llewellyn readers, um, but I've definitely felt, found an awesome community of people who like to read my books. That's the Good Vibe Tribe Online School of Magical Arts is one hub of those people. Um, and we have a Facebook group where we communicate and different ways that we connect online or through Zoom. And that has been really cool connecting with people all over the world in that way. Yeah. The first time I talked to you, it it feels like it was a million years ago now. I don't remember what year it was, but I'm guessing it was probably around 2000, 
2014, maybe 2013, a while ago. I don't know. Yeah, it was I a think few it was years ago. Maybe 2016, like early 2016 oh, or late 2015. That might have been toward the end of my YouTube interview career. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. But um, I was really excited to see that you're still doing the Good Vibe Tribe because we talked about the Good Vibe Tribe on my other show. And so it just, it made me feel good to know that, okay, she's still going strong with this because sometimes these things come and go. So you yeah. must have really built up now a great yeah. sense of community over all this time. Yeah, that was when we talked, it must have been when we were first starting it. Yes. And now there's um, 13 or 14 self-paced online workshops. And we have been doing web chats straight through every Tuesday night, pretty much every Tuesday night since we first launched in January of 2016. And now there's also a certification program that's part of it. And we have like, it's like a smaller group within the group. And we do um, mastermind meetings via Zoom, which is really cool where we have a meeting where we talk about a certain topic and everyone contributes. So we all learn from everybody. And we, in that one, we get to see people's faces because it's like a Zoom meeting room. And um, there's people from all over. It's really interesting. We have members in Australia and it's really fun. Canada. Wow. So how, what's the, what am I trying to say? The, the, easiest point of entry for somebody who wants to join the good vibe tribe can oh. they can anybody take one of these courses or do you need to be a member of the good vibe tribe to do that well you there's different uh ways that you can take the courses you can try the good vibe tribe for free for a month and then you can cancel before the month is over if you want but you can do that by going to testwhitehurst.com and then you'll see good vibe tribe at the top and click on that um and then you have access to all the workshops but there's also some of my workshops are available as standalone workshops that you can just buy on my website and then just have access to those. Okay. So they can do a free trial for a month. Yeah. And you can join the web chats and join the Facebook group and do all the stuff. Oh, neat. That's so cool. And then by joining, then they automatically get access to those workshops. Yeah, actually, I'm realizing that for the trial, I think it's maybe like two or three of the workshops are available in the trial, which they're they're all designed to be take about a month. So you don't really need more than three for your trial month. But then after the trial month is over, then all of them become unlocked. Neat. Okay, cool. I love I love what's happening lately with membership sites. I I personally use Patreon, which I love, but I like the just for a while there, the internet was so wild. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I think the conversations you want to have with your spiritual community, that it's not always great to make those conversations vulnerable to just random haters that can come strolling mm-hmm. by. And I really got interested in the idea of membership when I started feeling very protective of not myself, but the people that were, I just didn't want anybody to be mean to my people. Yeah. So that's when I started thinking we need a space. Totally. It's so cool. It's really neat to see. I love looking through the Good Vibe Tribe um, Facebook page and seeing the different things that people share and different things people need support on. And it being, it's neat to create a space where magical people can be themselves and speak the language together because I think that's such an important aspect of growing spiritually and magically is um, having people to bounce things off of and who are supportive because 
because then it's like the language becomes more real. You know, you sense something and someone else senses it too. And then you're like, oh, it's, it's really like you and I tapping into the unicorn transmission <laughs> together. Yes, I'll never forget that. I promise you. I will be a 98-year-old woman going, I remember that thing with the unicorn. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty. And you know what? I believe in the magic of words. I'm a big word nerd. So that you named your community the good vibe tribe to me it's a statement of intent yeah and it has been it's been it's just like it was really interesting the way that it came together too because after I created I co-created it with my friend Brandy who used to do all the web stuff for Llewellyn and it was like we were like okay we need to do this and this and this and we did it all and we set it up and then it was like what just happened (laughs) it it was like it felt like it just we had to do it we were compelled to do it but we didn't really even it wasn't like there was a time that I remember thinking like should I do this or should I not it's just like we just did it and then it just continues to astound me how amazing the community is it's it's its own thing it came it's like creating the space for it came through me. And then the, the group itself is so beyond what I expected. It's its own thing. Mm-hmm. It, it reminds me of circling back to this idea of be your own authority and trusting your inner guidance and your intuition. You seem like a person who has a lot of faith and trust in spirit and that you can be led on these adventures to starting the good vibe tribe or writing a book like the unicorn like unicorn magic and just you just seem to just kind of leap with a lot of faith in your heart and see where it takes you and it seems to have taken you to some pretty awesome places thank you yeah I really cultivate that and I would say that a big factor has been the artist way have you ever done the artist way yes I did earlier this year and had a fabulous time yeah I have done it I mean probably seven or eight times or more since Mm -hmm. I was like 20 years old or 21 years old and it the practice of the morning pages writing three pages nonstop as soon as you wake up I think that primes the pump for getting into that flow and overriding the inner critic. And then I also meditate regularly, but I think it is a value of mine to um, let myself be a channel and to um, override the, any kind of inner chatter so that I can recognize when I am compelled to do something and not second guess it. Um, Even though, you know, I think, Sometimes I feel, sometimes I, a lot of times I think like with the unicorn book, like a part of me being like, how would I write a whole book about unicorns? I really want to cultivate this way of learning to notice, I can notice that voice that is questioning things, but to override it and instead follow that feeling of that wave of feeling compelled to create, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, the morning pages has helped me a lot with that too, because sometimes what shows up in the morning is my fear or my yeah. inner critic. Yeah. And then I can see it because it's on the page and I'm like, right. Oh, this is terrible. Who's bullying you in there? Like, yes. <laughs> it allows me to work with it because I can see it in black and white on the page. Exactly. And then you don't, you can like separate it from you. Like that's not the divine voice. That's not my inspiration inspiration that's my ego or my inner critic or like echo of some cultural limiting story or belief that I don't have to believe 
Yeah. And you start stringing together the patterns. Like my inner critic is so unoriginal and, Mm. and repetitive (laughs) and easy to spot because it's so predictable. It like has the same hangups again and again and again, it might come out in different ways, but you start to notice patterns. You're like, Oh, this is just that old weird program. Yeah. Yeah. And learning to, um, knowing that it's going to be there, but like kind of learning to tune it out. I think that's a big thing to learn as we go. It's, I think, um, in big magic, Elizabeth, what is her name? Who wrote Gilbert. Big magic? Yeah. Elizabeth Gilbert, how she said the inner critic, it was something about like the inner critic is going to be there, but you just don't let them drive, like put them in the back seat. <laughs> you know? Yes, I talk about that all the time. Like, right, I like to think of myself as a bus driver and there's all these like rowdy kids in the back, you know, that are trying to take me off route and you have to mm. deal with them each in a different way because yeah. some might be really loud and bratty and one might be like hiding under the seat in fear. They all have their own little personalities and I don't know. It's just great to think of, maybe it's because I'm a mom, but I like to think about approaching those kids with compassion because they're all me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I like that analogy. Mm -hmm. So we've already said your website, but you want to say it one more time for people on the go who aren't looking at a computer right now so they can find you. Sure. It's TessWhitehurst.com. T-E-S-S-W-H-I-T-E-H-U-R-S-T.com. Simple enough. Okay. So I always end this by asking the same question that I think I asked you last time, but I don't remember your answer. So it'll be fresh and brand new. It might be different than last time. I bet it will be. (laughs) It's been a minute, but I always ask, what is one tip for creating the kick-ass life of your dreams? Mm, Self-compassion. So I recently read the book Self-Compassion by Dr. Kristen Neff, and I love it. I love how she says, whenever you notice suffering of any kind, whether it's stress, whether it's actual physical pain, anxiety, your feelings are hurt, you feel down on yourself, to take, to stop and say to yourself, this is a moment of suffering. So you are acknowledging it. And then suffering is a part of the human condition So you acknowledge it's not just me. I'm not the only person who's ever felt awkward. Everyone feels awkward sometimes. Everyone feels embarrassed sometimes. Everyone feels down on themselves. And then may I be kind to myself in this moment. May I give myself the compassion I need. And it helps with everything just to remember that instead of just pressing on, just take a moment and give yourself compassion, acknowledge your feelings, and then you can move through them and by continually giving ourselves compassion and kindness in many ways, not just that way, we can actually like send love through our hands into our heart, our belly, give ourselves a hug, take care of ourselves. It's just, it makes all the difference in your joy, your inspiration, your energy, your well-being, and living a magical life. I love it. It ties in so perfectly with my busload of inner children. Yeah. Because like, what is the worst thing to do to a kid who's acting up? You don't hit them. Right. You don't scream and yell at them. You'll only make it worse and create more problems in the future or neglect them. I think that's really common is we tend to neglect the messages of our bodies and and push forward anyway instead of pausing and being like, what is this trying to tell me right now? Yeah, and then the stress adds up, you know, where when you can process it throughout the day, you can relieve that pressure. Yeah, 
This was so fun. I loved this. Come back again, lady, anytime. I would love to. Thank you so much. I loved it too. So she's awesome, right? Am I right about that? I feel like I'm right about that. I loved that interview. And what's interesting is it has a lot of resonance with next week's interview. Next week, I am having Pam the Pop Witch on the show. And I've already recorded that interview. And so I already know what we've talked about. And I've already tested the sound quality to make sure that I am not opening my mouth about it before it actually happens. And then we have another little audio snafu. I'm going to be extra careful about that, particularly when people call in on their phones, because I've had some issues with that in the past. And I just want the show to be pleasant for you all. But anyway... The interview with Pam the Pop Witch, she has a magical planner that she created by hand. So two witchy planners for you to choose from. They're both illustrated and super cute. She talks about Tess Whitehurst in that interview, and I believe she mentions My Little Pony as well. So these two are like a set. Like a set, back to back. And I kind of like the way that worked out. And before I let you go today, I, of course, have to play some new music. Unfortunately, I cannot figure out how to pronounce this artist's name. I should have asked her when I sent in the request to play her music on the show. And she was gracious enough to say, sure, you can play my song. She's an artist and a producer. And E-S-T-E-R-E is the spelling of her name. So it's Esther, I would venture to guess. Esther, 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 something like that. E-S-T-E-R-E. Of course, I will link to the show notes. I am playing her song today, Nomads, off her record, My Design on Others lives and i love that she describes her music as electric blue witch hop witch hop (laughs) yes and her production skills are really on display in this particular song which is one of the reasons that i chose it and you really get a sense of the landscape through the through the sounds that she uses and the spirit of traveling I also really love the idea of witchy people as spiritual nomads. So if you're listening to this song from that perspective, it takes on some extra flavor. It's a great song. It's really upbeat and vibey. I think you'll really love it. So here she is, Esther, with her song, Nomads. And until we meet again, much love to you. Peace. Blood on the snow had turned into gold And it shot in the wake of the masses Down the dry road we passed young and old Their belongings held in their pockets
Our 